Hi there, Rachel here. If you're listening to this episode in May of 2024, I have some big news. After selling out during the holiday season, my Flex of Gold journal is available for pre-order right now and will be shipping to your home by the end of June. To celebrate, we're running an amazing pre-order sale for Mother's Day. Purchase the journal before May 13th and you'll get $10 off every journal. This is our best price of the year, even better than Black Friday, so it's the perfect time to stock up for gifts for family and friends. This three-year journal helps mothers to notice, savor, and write down the fleeting golden moments that they experience with their children each day. So go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to reserve your copy, and you'll also see our brand new cover colors, as well as our new cover option, which is a wipeable vegan leather. So again, go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to pre-order your journal, and from now until Mother's Day 2024, they'll be marked down by $10 each. I can't wait for you to experience the magic of this beautiful gratitude journal for mothers. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. If you've been listening to my show for the past couple of months, you know that I'm in the middle of launching the second round of my nine-month program, which is called Self-Assured Motherhood, or SAM for short. This program only opens once a year, and I don't want any moms who need it to miss out on hearing about it and have to wait another entire year before they can sign up. So I'm doing my best to get the word out to as many women as possible while enrollment is open. Enrollment closes this Friday, September 23rd, so I'm hopeful that today's episode will give you the push you need to sign up if you've been on the fence or if you've just been curious about what the program is all about. The nine-month program is built around nine pillars. We study one per month, and today you're going to get a taste of each of those pillars through the stories of some of the alumni of the program. I did little mini interviews with these women and asked them to share one personal experience from their life that illustrates how they are embodying and practicing one of the core principles of self-assured motherhood. Their stories are phenomenal and touching and relatable, and I'm going to let them do most of the talking in this episode with brief interjections from me. So here we go. The very first pillar that we study in the SAM program, because it is so foundational to everything else, is voice your values. Here's Shelby Quinlan from Canada to tell you a bit about how voicing her values has helped to ease her stress as she's trying to get her daughters out the door for school. Here's Shelby. For my family, the mornings are a big struggle, getting out the door and getting to school. My oldest daughter has some anxiety around school, so she's often dragging her feet and getting four of us out the door mm. is not always easy. So I really was beating myself up about that. You know, I was thinking, why can't I get it together? Why can't I figure this out? We do it every morning. You know, I should mm -hmm. be able to get a routine in place. But we are almost always late for school. And so one day we were late and just the drive to school, I'm lecturing and I'm going on and on about you guys need out and why can't you get your stuff ready like I ask? And we pulled up to school and we're just all feeling pretty low, right? Like the mood in the van is just not a good one. Not the way I'd like to start off the morning. And 
they all get out and I send them off and I just didn't feel good. I was beating myself up. I was beating them up. And then I'm sitting there just trying to gather myself. And I see another mom, you know, even later than me, like the last one in the whole schoolyard. And she's smiling and holding hands with her child and they're kind of skipping into the door. And I was like, oh, I want that. Mm -hmm. You can be late and still be happy. So it was kind of a shift in, okay, well, what do I value? Do I value punctuality or do I value connection? And mm -hmm. if, if we're to school on time, but I had to be a drill sergeant the whole time to make it happen, that doesn't fit with my values. So it helped me let go a little bit of worrying about what others think and really focusing on what's important to me, the mood in my house and the relationship with my kids. Yeah. That's such a beautiful story. I relate to so much because <laughs> my kids have far too many tardies than I would like to admit, but it's so true that sometimes you realize, oh, I can be in the same circumstance but have a totally different attitude about it. If I'm connecting back to my values. And, and one thing that we talked about in the course is that just because something is a higher value to you doesn't mean that you don't care at all about the other stuff. It just means that it's not one of your core values. So like in the case of your school example, punctuality matters. And, yeah. you know, it's not like you're going to say, we're never going to be on time again. We're never going to even try, but you are able to say, my value for connection is more important to me than punctuality and I'm doing the best that I can. And we're going to prioritize that. We're already late. My being angry and breaking the connection with my children right now is not gonna magically hypercharge transport us to the school so that we can be there on time, you know? Yeah. So I'm gonna hold on to my value and have actions aligned with my values right now, even though I'm frustrated that we're not on time. Yeah. And that speaks to something too, that really came out of the course for me was, you know, just kind of feeling pushed and pulled by life, just feeling like things were happening to me. And with the course and clarifying my values, it gave me more of a feeling of purpose and choice and deliberateness that I really think was missing for me before. And mm it's made just about every decision so much easier because I have that clarity around my values and I don't feel like I'm just kind of thrown around by the waves of life. I can be more deliberate and think, okay, how do I want to react in this situation? And what are the values I want to shine through here? Next up, we're going to learn from Valerie Bradshaw in Utah about the pillar, celebrate your strengths. I love this story about how she brought together her two worlds, her professional world and her mom world, so her kids could start to really enjoy and understand their mom's unique strengths. I'll let Valerie tell you more. Prior to the class, I feel like I saw some of my strengths, but had no clue how to apply them to my motherhood. Like I'm a very creative person. I felt like I had to put creativity to one side and compartmentalize it. And motherhood was in a completely different part of my life. And that made motherhood kind of unfulfilling, I think. And so the ability to find ways to apply my strengths to motherhood was really impactful for me. An example of how I was able to apply creativity more to motherhood is my love of theater. So I'm a costume designer and a seamstress when I am not being a mom. I mean, sometimes I do both, of course, but I try and do like a contract job a year if I can. And that's always felt like it was one part of my life and motherhood was another. And I'd wanted to take my kids to a play for years because I would tell them what I'm doing, but they 
didn't really understand what theater was. I'd tell them it's kind of like a movie, but in person and they didn't get it. So, I mean, I obviously wanted to share my love of theater with them, but it felt expensive and hard. And I mean, they are still little six and four. So I wondered if they were going to sit still and listen or if they'd hate it. So I hadn't ever taken them to a play, even though I've debated doing it for years. And this year, after thinking about how these are my strengths, and if I want to enjoy motherhood, I need to really lean into my strengths. I decided to fork out the money, more money Mm -hmm. than I wanted to spend maybe for this, but it was totally worth it. We forked out money and bought tickets to a play. We went to a year with Frog and Toad, and it was just meant for kids, and my kids loved it. I loved it. It was so fun being able to take them to a play and getting to explain to them what I do a little bit more. And Mm -hmm. We actually bought tickets to another play. We're going to go see Little Mermaid in a couple months. And they're so excited. Mm. And I'm excited. It'll be fun. We're going for my birthday. I love it. I love that you brought your strengths to your children instead of sort of keeping them separate from that side of you for them to get to see what you love and what you do. And yeah, they may not remember that specific play someday, but they're going to know you better as a result of having that experience and sharing that joy with you. And that is something that they will remember. Even if that memory isn't conscious, it starts to build an understanding of their mother that will stay with them their whole life. So I think that's so beautiful that you decided to bring them into that. For our next pillar, we'll talk about the importance of studying your story. Dorothy Jokerst from Arizona has two daughters, And that becomes important to the experience she's going to share with us, which has to do with a fight she had with her own sister. By way of background, Dorothy grew up in what she calls a pretty unstable home, where her dad had mental illness and was in and out of jail. There were multiple divorces and remarriages, half-siblings and step-siblings. And in her adulthood, Dorothy realized how important it was to examine that experience and the impact it had on her mothering. And she's done that both through therapy and now through the SAM program. Here's a brief excerpt of my conversation with her. And for context, I started off by asking her where she was emotionally when she first signed up for the SAM program. And this was her response. So I was maybe the worst period of my life as far as emotional, mental and everything. With COVID, we were extremely careful and I was really resentful of everyone. Uh, So I was really having a hard time dealing with that. The social media thing with politics and everything really was depressing me. So my oldest daughter was struggling at school and my youngest daughter struggling with separation anxiety and I wasn't sleeping. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, it was a really awful time, but the straw that really broke the camel's back was like, I got into a huge fight with my sister, which we do fight and we usually make up, but this time she questions all of my life choices, my choice of spouse, my not working. And it really made me realize I needed to like examine my life and I had been listening to your podcasts a lot, and I really appreciated all the quick tools that you gave us. So when I heard the class, I was like, okay, this was kind of like meant to be. Yeah. So there's a whole unit in the Self-Assured Motherhood program about studying your story. And it's kind of a tough unit because it asks you to go back and look at your childhood and look at some things that are hard to look at and figure out how they are impacting your life now. So what were some of the biggest insights that you gained from the study your story unit? And do you have any personal stories or examples that you can give us? So, yeah, so I had a a big, 
big story to study and, you know, it's not easy, but I knew it was going to be useful. And I've done therapy in the past and kind of dug into some of it. But I guess the biggest insight that I got was my relationship with my sister. And we were kind of like the only people that we have in some respects. So just wanted to, to dig further into that. And then also I noticed, and I, and we went over this in the class that like one of my biggest triggers is when my kids fight and I'm very sensitive to that. So obviously it was because, you know, I had plenty of issues with my own sister. So she's two years older than I am. And she was really very cruel to me during our childhood, but she was also protective. And she's also the voice for me because I was really shy and anxious. So she would speak up for me and kind of make decisions for me. And we would have periods of closeness depending on where we were in our life and how much time we had for each other, but it always went back to like, okay, we can connect like we were always together. So it was no big deal. But this blow up and it was October of last year felt different. So I wanted to figure out why that was and what I could do for myself too. Um, I knew I couldn't do anything. I couldn't change her, which I knew. I think at some point I realized that we were still acting like children and we hadn't really realized that we both had changed so much. And so we were still having this competitiveness that we didn't need. At the end of the year, I decided that it was worth swallowing my ego and reaching out and telling her that, you know, I've wanted her to be in my life, but we have to have these boundaries because it was really hurtful to, you know, all the stuff she said. So mm. this class really helped me be able to set a boundary because I am terrible with boundaries and I didn't really realize how important they are to, you know, be functioning in society. Yeah. How did this relationship with your sister impact the way you were parenting your two daughters and sort of what you were projecting on them? Yes. So it is a work in progress for sure. <clears throat> but yeah, I definitely was projecting my relationship, but then I realized we have totally different childhoods. I was not secure, was not stable. And my kids are stable and secure. I really learned in the class that they aren't me and my sister and their relationships evolving, just like my, my relationship evolved. That doesn't mean this is where they're going to end up. And just to teach them better ways to deal with the conflict and to keep communicating with them and not taking it personally, because before I'm like, what am I doing wrong as a mother where they're fighting all the time? Yes. But, you know, I hear from this group, like, okay, my kids fight all the time too. I'm like, okay, so it's normal. Yeah. It's very hard for me not to take it personally when my kids fight. I, I take it personally and it makes me sad. I am lucky that I am very close to my sisters and I want that for them, you know, but I can't force it. All I can do is create a loving atmosphere where I teach how to coach emotions and all those things. And then they get to have their own relationship outside of me, which is hard. Yeah. And scary. You're like, yeah. I want to part of a control thing where I'm, that's what I'm like, I, if I do it right, then I can fix it. But yeah, I'm really getting to a point where I can appreciate that. No, that I can do my best, but I can't change it all. Such amazing insight there that we have to allow our children to develop their own relationships with each other, with our loving guidance, of course, and we can't project our past and our issues onto them. Definitely a lot to dig in there. The next two pillars of the framework will actually be skipping today because we just had full episodes on them in the past few weeks. Two weeks ago, we had an episode all about the pillar, Bolster Your Boundaries. And then last week, we had an episode all about the pillar, Sanctify Your Soul Care. 
If you miss those, you can go back a few weeks and dive right in. Those are two incredibly important concepts as we as mothers and women learn to honor our needs. We need to bolster our boundaries and sanctify our soul care. Once we've done that, we will be in a much better emotional position to embody the next pillar of self-assured motherhood, which is pursue your purpose. Taylor Hartman from California is going to share her experience with figuring out what her life's purpose is and then learning how to weave it into her current phase of life with three young children and one more due to be born any day. Here's Taylor. Finding my purpose is always something that I've struggled with. And it's something that has been holding me back. I put a lot of stress and a lot of like self-doubt around it. So that was my main purpose for taking this course is what I wanted to find out what my purpose was. Mm -hmm. And the biggest insights that I gained through taking the course was the way that you helped us find that. I love Rachel that you had us categorize it into one word. And that was really helpful because... I always felt like I needed this like big, extravagant purpose, but narrowing it down to one word was so helpful. It was hard. Mm, so hard. And I loved how you said, you know, you, you don't have to take this to your grave. You don't have to put this on your tombstone, like just try it on and just work with it. And so that's what I did. I've been trying it on for the last couple months and it, it takes the pressure away from it and it just makes it more attainable and achievable. Well, I'm proud of you for narrowing it to one word because you've mentioned to me that you're a perfectionist. And I think sometimes as perfectionists, we don't ever actually pick a word or we don't ever actually choose a focus because that scares us because we do think like this means I'm going to have to tattoo it on my arm or put it on my gravestone. So the activity we do in the course is we have you look at your life turns. This actually comes from a podcast episode that is on my show with Brooke Snow and sort of find a theme for your life and boil it down to a word and try it on as your purpose and then try to live it in your life now. So what is the purpose that you uncovered? What is your word if you're willing to tell us? So my one word or purpose is coordinator. So that's the word that I chose. It started off in high school. In high school, I taught PE to elementary school kids. So I coordinated that. And then I was a student event coordinator on campus for college and then I've always just enjoyed planning trips or planning like schedules. I like bringing people together. Like I was in a family and child advocacy class and we went to the United Nations in college. And so bringing people to coordinate like for advocacy work has been something that I've done in the past or just different things like that, where I coordinate ideas and people and I'm not the smartest in the room and I'm not the best. And so being able to gather other people and different ideas, and then we could make something grand. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that your word is coordinator. I feel like that's very unique. That's not one that I had heard before having done this with dozens of women. I think one of the challenges for me anyway, going into motherhood was that my purpose had always been obvious outside of motherhood you know, my purpose is to teach and I was a teacher <laughs> and it sounds like yours before you're a mother. Sometimes it's a little bit more obvious what you're supposed yeah. to do with that. Like at your university, you did sort of these big, cool things with your purpose. And then you become a mom and you sort of feel the sense of, do I even matter anymore? Like, what am I doing day in and day out? That's really utilizing my gifts and 
for me, that was a lonely lost feeling. Do you relate to that? And have you been able to find a way to use your coordinator purpose in this season that you're in? Yes. So I do agree with you. Like in motherhood, I kind of did lose my purpose and I couldn't identify it with it as much. And then going through this life turns activity, I'm like, no, I really can be able to still pursue that purpose in the season that I'm in right now. And I love that you guys talked about that. And that was one of my biggest takeaways too, was being able to pursue that purpose, no matter what season of life that you're in. And so I really thought about that this past summer, we just created like a live list or a bucket list. And I love finding fun things to do around my area. And so there was a lot of things that I had written down that I wanted to do with my family, but it's so much more fun to do with other people. So I wanted something weekly that we could look forward to and that we could go do. And then I decided to share it with others. And so in our congregation at church, we've had like five to 10 new families move in. And so they're very new to the area and they don't know the area very well. So I thought this would be so fun to invite them. So we did, and they ended up having such a great time. And it was something that we looked forward to weekly and it felt really good to be able to infuse my strength of coordinating and my purpose in that realizing that I can infuse a part of me into my motherhood was life-changing and just being able to be happier when I did that and knowing the difference and realizing that I needed to take my purpose and my strengths and what I valued into my mothering. Before we move on to the next pillar, let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Public Goods, an online marketplace designed for the conscious consumer, where you can get everything from coffee to toilet paper, shampoo to pet food. I've talked about how much I love the cleaning products from Public Goods because they smell amazing and look amazing. I'm on a mission to replace my mismatched, worn-out kitchen supplies with Public Goods' aesthetically pleasing and functional kitchen goods. And for fall, I'm eyeing the Peppermill and Salt Shaker set. I can picture the Acacia Wood set displayed on our dining table, adding beautiful color and texture. And there's something about grinding salt and pepper that just makes me feel a little more sophisticated. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful streamlined aesthetic. And we've worked out an awesome deal for 3 and 30 listeners. Receive $15 off your first Public Goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right, they are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash 3in30 or use code 3in30 at checkout. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash 3in30 to receive $15 off your first order. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp, the world's largest provider of counseling done 100% online. As moms, sometimes we get together and talk with other moms about the problems and worries we have with our children. While it's so important to have people you can vent to and confide in, sometimes we get stuck talking about problems and never move on to talking about solutions. I know recently I was considering getting one of my children a psychological evaluation to test for ADHD, and with each new step, I had to ruminate on the information and the options I was given. Thanks to regular counseling, this process was less daunting than it would have been for me five or ten years ago. Going to therapy has helped me become a better problem solver through the big and small challenges I'm faced with. 
If you feel you might need counseling but are hesitant, nervous, or embarrassed to invest in yourself this way, let me assure you that going to counseling will be a gift to your entire family. BetterHelp makes it easy to get started with a counselor without overthinking it. You simply fill out a confidential questionnaire at betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30, and they will match you with a counselor within 48 hours. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30. Next up, we have one of my favorite pillars because it's just such a happy and fun one, and that is gather the good. In this next clip, you'll hear Christelle Larson, a mom living in Iowa, talk about how she worked to focus on the good within her son when he was going through a particularly difficult phase and how it made all the difference for their relationship. Here's Christelle. When we started Gather the Good, it was perfect timing because my four-year-old little guy just started getting really violent. And it had gotten to the point where all of our interactions were, stop doing that. Don't do that. Why did you do that? You're going to have to have a timeout. Now you need a consequence. Like, haven't I told you before? And I could feel it really starting to affect our relationship because everything was negative. And then it became like, that's when he got most of my attention. And so then he would do it more because he got my attention. So when we started Gather the Good, we talked about how you just start commenting on every positive thing you see. And it was really hard to find the good at first. So it started with really neutral things. Like you put on your own socks. You went to the bathroom by yourself. You got a fork out of the drawer. That felt like I was just following behind him, like repeating what he was doing. I did. I felt like a crazy commentator on life. And then I would get impatient because I wanted it to change the behavior within four days. You know, I learned about it. And by the next week, I'm like, why is he still acting the same? And so it did take a good, so, I mean, we did the gather the good in what may, mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, we're recording late August and it's only been, I feel like in the last two or three weeks that it's really turned more permanently. Like we started to have better days and now it's getting to where the bad day is, you know, where he's a little more frustrated um, and violent or unique. Like we're getting to where there's better, good days. Tell me about some of the ways that you gathered the good during that hard, hard time when it was hard to see the good. So you mentioned just commenting on anything he was doing that was remotely positive and trying to build in that praise so it could outweigh some of the negative Mm -hmm. interactions that you were having. Were there other things that you did to help your own mindset to see more of the good in him and to just pour more positive into your relationship and your interactions with him? It became difficult because he was in that behavior spiral. I didn't want to spend time with them. And then because I wasn't spending as much time with them, he was in the behavioral spiral. So I had to be the grown up and really work on trying to spend some one-on-one time with him, even if it was inconvenient or for me, it's a lot easier to do the house tasks because I'm like, I see progress. I can get them done. I'm moving forward. I feel productive in my day. I mean, it's hard to check off, like played with kids today, but I tried to sit with him. I found that he really likes having music on in the background of all kinds. So spending time together, putting music on and other than something that was truly wrong, like, like hitting or something like that. I ignored a lot of behaviors that before I had gotten into the habit of nitpicking on, like if he threw a toy across the room, but didn't hit anybody, wasn't doing it out of anger. You know, I ignored it. Shoes were on the wrong feet. I ignored it. Pants on backwards. I ignored it. Like I really focused on only having to discipline for the physical violence. And now as he's gotten better, I've been able to work some of those areas in that needed a little more correcting. But at the time it was just 
too much. Mm. And a lot of them kind of corrected themselves as he was able to get more positive things going. Um, Positive momentum. Yeah. Positive momentum. It's so important. And it leads right into our next pillar, which is communicate for connection. A big focus of what we talk about during this unit is emotion coaching, which is a term that was created by relationship researcher Dr. John Gottman to explain the practice of tuning into children's feelings and helping kids learn to cope with and self-regulate negative emotions like fear, anger, and sadness. In this clip, you'll hear how Annette from California used emotion coaching with her daughter who had a huge disappointment and how Annette feels like it was really the first time she understood the point of emotion coaching and why it's so beneficial. Here's Annette. My biggest takeaways for communicating with connection was shocker. The goal of emotion coaching is not to stop your children from feeling emotion. I just didn't realize that like, that's not the point of emotion coaching. Hmm. You know, the point isn't to get them to stop. The point is to get them to feel that's how they stop. That was huge for me. I mean, it changed everything. I have a story that happened actually that I'd like to share that happened the day you guys taught that class. My daughter found out she did not get the part she really wanted in a play. I mean, devastated was an understatement. You know, she's very passionate. She has very big feelings and she was on the floor in tears and she just wanted to quit everything. You know, she didn't want to be a part of the play. She couldn't have the dream part. It was the biggest, most important thing in her world. And she was devastated. And that morning, Stacy and you had sent out an email and there was a quote in the email and it was something like, um, it's not our job to make sure they feel happy. It's our job to make sure they feel everything. And when I saw her on the floor, that quote just kept ringing in my mind, right? It's not my job to make her feel happy. It's my job to make her feel everything. And right there, that was the missing piece of the puzzle, that was the piece. I was trying to fix my kids. I was trying to make it so that they wouldn't have to feel bad things. I was trying to make it so that they were so self-regulated. They were just like, you know, like I was always told like, just get over it. Like they they should just get over it. Cause I was always emotional and I always had a hard time regulating my own emotions and having shame about that, right? Thinking that made me like not a great person. Why am I so sensitive? It turns out I'm human, that emotions serve a purpose. And that if you don't feel your emotions, you end up with depression and anxiety. So it actually maybe is a good thing to feel emotion and to not have shame. And that the only way out is through, you know, you can't just snap fingers. I can't just share a story with her about my youth, about when I didn't get the part and why she should be fine and how all worked out all sunny. I can't do that. Not in that moment. Not while she's crying. That's just insensitive and not helpful. There was going to be a circle back moment when we got through this, that we could have that conversation and don't think that the night of her performance, when she was beaming afterwards, that I did not circle back and say to her, See? I'm so proud of you. You were going to quit. It was so hard. It was so hard that you didn't get the part you wanted, but you showed up the next day, you know, and you allowed yourself to keep going. And then you found the good in the part you got, and you got to be a part of a, you know, being a part of a play is just being a part of an ensemble. It's the best feeling ever. And I let her share about it too. You know, like, are you proud of you? And, and she got to share with me. So the lesson was there, just not in the crying moment. And my goal is not going to be for her to stop crying. My goal is going to be for her to know that I am there for her. Hmm. So I did it. I did the emotion coaching. Was it different than things I said before? Probably not. But the inside was because I believed it and I understood what I was actually trying to do. 
I wasn't trying to make it stop. There wasn't some ticking time bomb telling me you're a terrible mom because she's still crying on the floor. Like you're not getting her off the floor. It's not about getting it right. It's about letting her have her feelings, her knowing that I love her, her knowing that I am there for her. I don't have to have the right words. In fact, I shouldn't have words, right? I should be listening. And finally, friends, we have reached our last pillar of the nine. We will end with a bang by discussing what it means to support the struggles. In this clip, you will hear Addie White, a mom living in Kansas, talk about how she realized that she could release some of the stress and worry around one of her daughter's struggles and instead lean into just supporting her and helping her to find resources for growth. Here's Addie. I loved the reminder that every child is going to have struggles, many struggles, and they aren't all on me to solve. They aren't my opportunities for growth necessarily. They're my child's and I'm there to cheer them on and support them and direct them to the help they need. And then I love the process that we learned in the class, which was to start with a brainstorm and just think, okay, how could I address this? My kid may have this condition. Okay, let's Google that first because I don't know what it is. Let's maybe set up a doctor's appointment. I could talk to this friend about it who had a similar situation and then start by doing one thing that week Mm -hmm. on your list and just working through it and making it bite-sized to feel like you were making forward motion rather than sitting in a place of frustration or drowning. (laughs) I just love feeling like we will get it figured out. Yeah. It just takes time and resources, but we will get it figured out. Yeah. I have a daughter who has had a hard time learning to read Mm -hmm. and I have worried so much about it because I couldn't relate well to it. Reading has been a huge part of my life. I love it. And my first daughter, it came very easily to, and we connected beautifully learning how to read together And then my second daughter, it was a totally different experience. And it was unnerving to me like, oh no, this is so important to being able to learn anything else in your life. I feel like if you can learn to read and have this foundation. So I did the process of support their struggles of kind of brainstorming and tapping into other resources. And one thing we did, which Savvy Reading has been a sponsor of 3 and 30. And I was like, well, this summer, maybe I could do that instead of feeling the pressure to sit and read with her because it's miserable to both of us. It just Mm -hmm. is. So we did savvy reading and I just framed it as this is reading club. I learned about it in my class and it's great for your age. And how would you like to do it? I've loved my class so much. Would you like to do this reading club? And she was on board and looked forward to it and has loved it. Also took her to the eye doctor again, just for her regular checkup. And he said, you know, she has a condition that could make it harder to read. Have you noticed anything? I said, absolutely. I think there's some processing going on with her that's making it more challenging. So he's referred us to be evaluated with a vision occupational therapist. So I'm excited about that. Even if the answer is she doesn't need it, I feel like I've learned a little more. And if this will help her, we would absolutely invest in that as well um, Mm -hmm. to get that help for her. So, yeah, I love that you're going at it from multiple angles, you know, but not in a panicked way. 
not in a, we got to fix this child because she's never going to be able to succeed in life. It seems like it's coming from a very centered place of, okay, what are some different angles we could go at to make sure there's not an underlying medical condition. We make sure she has the tutoring support she needs. And then you had mentioned to me that you reached out to her teacher as well. Yes. As I was filling out the get to know you forms online, going back to school, you know, at the end there's, is there anything else I should know about your daughter? And I just filled in kind of this background and what's been going on, trusting that as a teacher, I think she will be a fantastic advocate as well for her to help her get the help that she needs. Well, that's it, my friends, nine empowering pillars that make up a more self-assured life. By way of recap, I will say all nine of them one more time. And I hope you notice that they are all alliterative because the English teacher in me is very proud of that, I will admit. So the nine pillars are voice your values, celebrate your strengths, study your story, bolster your boundaries, sanctify your soul care, pursue your purpose, gather the good, communicate for connection, and support the struggles. If you would like to spend the next nine months learning about each of these topics in a supportive community of amazing mothers, please join us in the Self-Assured Motherhood program. This is a life-changing program that I don't want you to have to wait another entire year to gain the tools you need to thrive as a mom. So go to selfassuredmotherhood.com to learn more and to sign up before September 23rd at midnight. And if you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out, I do have one more live masterclass I'm teaching tomorrow, Tuesday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, where I will walk you through a detailed self-assessment to see how you are doing in each of these nine areas. It's an eye-opening exercise that will leave you feeling inspired and motivated to do more for your own well-being. To sign up for the free class, just go to 3in30podcast.com slash free class. And don't forget to also go to selfassuredmotherhood.com to read all about the program and watch some inspiring alumni testimonials. More than anything, I want you to know that I am rooting for you. I want you to find so much peace and fulfillment in your motherhood, and I know it's possible for you. Take good care of yourself, and I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.